after reaching what so many people claim is like the key to happiness, that $100,000, that six-figure income in my nine-to-five career, I was still effing miserable. So I'm like, wait a minute. It's not about the money because I don't care about what I'm doing. You can't pay me enough to care about this. But when it comes from a place of passion, that is what's going to get you through those hard times, through the self-doubt, through like just not seeing what is going to happen, but knowing that there's a greater purpose behind what you're doing. You're listening to the Transcend Podcast. I'm your host, Asha Wilkerson, an attorney by training and an educator at heart. This podcast is all about empowering you to build a business and leave a legacy. Here's the thing. The wealth gap in America is consistently increasing. And while full-time entrepreneurship is not for everyone, even a side hustle can change your financial landscape if you're intentional about using your business to build wealth. I've run my own law firm for over 10 years, and in that time, I've helped countless California businesses go from idea to six figures. On this podcast, we talk about what it truly takes to build a sustainable business and find financial freedom. Let's dive in. All right. Thank you so much, Shanice, for joining me. If you were to tell us yourself, you know, how do you describe yourself and what you are currently doing today? So I like to describe myself as a serial entrepreneur in Spanish. That's sort of like an inquieta. Inquieta kind of refers to somebody who like can't sit still. And that's definitely me as an entrepreneur. I have uh, a lot of things going on, but mainly I'm known for my personal finance podcast, Yo Quiero Dinero, which translates to I Want Money in Spanish. And it's a personal finance podcast for Latinas, but it's also a place for anybody who really wants to learn about money in a way that's not super white bro culture, right? It's a little bit of a more open environment where we can talk about things that we encounter as people of color trying to navigate our finances. And so that's been something that I've been working on. And I'm also a food blogger. So food blogging is actually the way that I kind of entered this entrepreneurial space. Yeah, that's a little bit about me. I love it. Thank you for that. And I think, thank you also. So I came across your profile because a friend of mine sent it to me for your podcast. And she was like, this is great. We're in this business group together. And, you know, I do business law and employment law. So I'm working with entrepreneurs who are trying to get their businesses together. And we were talking about the financial part of it, because I think that gets left out of the conversation a lot. It's either start a business because your nine to five is going to kill you, Or it's this personal finance conversation because working for the man won't get you there, but there isn't a lot of space where we're bridging the two of them. So then when I came across your profile, I love the way you speak about making money and just being who you are. And then also you're very transparent about the different side hustles that you have. So you said you have a blog, you also have the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast, and then are there any other streams of income or side hustles that you have that you're working on right now? Yeah. So the two entities have a lot of different income streams associated with them. So I have a total of 10 income streams through my businesses and um, they're all online. So that's the beauty of digital entrepreneurship. And that's the thing that I teach because I am such a firm believer that like the future of work is not clocking into an office and like sitting in a cubicle because I've seen it. I've, I've been able to do it multiple times. And so I do everything from influencer marketing to speaking engagements, digital workshops, courses, freelance writing, display ads, affiliate marketing. So I'm like tapping into all of these different ways that you can monetize your skills and 
and talents online. And so I've been able to harness the power of all of those and uh, use them to monetize my, my passions. Yeah, I like that. And in your bio, you called yourself an accidental entrepreneur. How did you, how did, <laughs> what part of it was on accident? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I don't come from a family of entrepreneurs. I'm Puerto Rican. My parents came to the US in the 1980s and I was very much fed like the traditional narrative, go to school, get a degree, get a good job, get a pension, retired 65. That's like the quote unquote American dream. So I was very much prescribed to that. I was a, a good student. I was really focused on my grades and like getting a scholarship. And I thought I was going to be a doctor. Like I was on my way to becoming a doctor. I was pre-med. When I was in college, I I think that's the first time that I'd like met so many people from all over the place and like was exposed to just like the the bigger world out there. And I think as I began to kind of, you know, develop my own identity as as an individual, I realized like, first of all, I don't want to go to medical school. I literally just been going down this path because my parents said that was the responsible thing to do. So I decided I wasn't going to do that. I was just going to graduate and start working in the industry. I am a science uh, major. So I majored in molecular biology and I went into industry. So I started working as an engineer in biotech and medical device. And I ended up getting a master's degree because I thought like this was going to be what I do. I was in a great field, right? As a woman of color, like just even entering these spaces of STEM, I just felt like it was such a privilege to be in these spaces. And so I really envisioned like my career being that of an engineer for the majority of my adult life until I found myself about the age of 27. And I was just like, is this it? Like, is this all we're going to do? Please say no. There's got to be more. Really? I mean, I was having like an existential crisis at like 27 and I hated my job. I was just like miserable, even though externally it looked like success to everybody, right? I'm like, got the good paying job. You just got engaged. You're planning a wedding. You got a master's degree. Like all the things that people attribute as success I had and I was still miserable. I found myself like needing a creative outlet and just having a way to do something other than like being this super high achiever that's just always checking things off of the checklist. And so I gravitated towards becoming a food blogger because cooking and food just reminds me of like simpler times of being a child, of being with my mom and my grandmother. And it's something that I enjoy like from the depths of my soul. Like if I had to do anything else for the rest of my life, I would literally just cook people food. (laughs) I'll be right over. (laughs) And, uh, you know, in the process of, of creating the blog, I inadvertently created a business that has given me the ability to become financially independent about eight years later. Yeah, I love that. Okay. So I am not that person who tells everybody, you got to go start a business because you have to have not even just a skill because you can develop skills, but you have to have that fortitude, that perseverance to stick with it, especially if you were starting a business to start a business, as opposed to what you did is where you started a business around your passion. That's what I tell people. Do something you love, find something you love, because entrepreneurship is hard. It's it's hard in a different way from going to work for somebody else. So don't just do it because it's the thing to do, but do it because you love what you're doing. And then on top of that, figure out how to monetize it and use it to change your life. 
I absolutely agree with you. And that's what I teach my students. Now that I've, you know, successfully been able to kind of replicate this model of creating businesses, I started teaching people how to start side hustles. And that's the first thing I tell them because, you know, the common responses are just like, yeah, I want a side hustle, but like, I don't know what I want to do. I just want to make some money. That is never going to be enough. And I realized that after reaching what so many people claim is like the key to happiness, that $100,000, that six figure income in my nine to five career. I was still effing miserable. So I'm like, wait a minute. It's not about the money because I don't care about what I'm doing. You can't pay me enough to care about this. But when it comes from a place of passion, that is what's going to get you through those hard times, through the self-doubt, through just not seeing what is going to happen, but knowing that there's a greater purpose behind what you're doing. Yeah, I agree. Because you can make all the money in the world working for somebody else. But like, what fun is it if you can't spend it? You know, like, what fun is it if you can't go on vacation? Or if you are earning it in a way that just feels completely unaligned with who you are. Yeah, because at least in my opinion, I think the idea behind this financial independence and being able to retire early, if that's what people choose, it's just the freedom. In the United States, we have been, people of color have been so overdetermined. You know, the narratives, oh, black folks are lazy, Latino folks are lazy, Latinx folks are lazy. Like, come on. Like that, you just, you, how can you say that with a straight face? Because we're the side hustle kings and queens of the world, I feel like, you know? <laughs> it's out of necessity too, which it I is. think a lot of people don't realize. Like I think about my grandmother and she wouldn't define herself as an entrepreneur, but she had a little bodega at the first floor of her home in Puerto Rico. She had a third grade education and put six kids through school with a little store that she created. Right. And so I think like we come from a lineage of people who have had to figure it out and we have that within us. And it's about tapping into it versus thinking that it's something that we should give up because we, quote unquote, don't need those skills anymore. Right. There was a blog. It must have been on Reddit. And I'm sure I saw it on on social media, but it was like 20 things that are classy if you're rich and trashy if you're poor. And one of them was like having multiple jobs. If you're poor, that's trashy because you obviously can't make enough money to survive off of one job. But if you're rich, that's great because you're an entrepreneur or speaking multiple languages. If you're a person of color, that's because you can't learn English. But if you're white and you've learned all these languages, must be because you're really smart. So that's just what it reminds me of, right? We're not looking at the things that we already do that have been uh, a part of our culture's partly out of necessity. We don't look at them as those skills anymore. Like whether you're baking cupcakes or empanadas or, you know, red velvet cake or whatever, it's a tradition that you can, you can turn into a business if you want to. Absolutely. Yeah. That's such an interesting dichotomy. Mm-hmm. It is. I also like what you said. A lot of the, I feel like the old school personal finance advisors will tell you to spend less. They'll tell you to budget more and there's some shame I feel like associated with And it's also marketed very specifically to women to spend less. But I love that you were teaching people how to start hustles to earn more. That's not something we talk about very often, except for maybe recently. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've never been one to be frugal. Like frugality to me is a dirty word. <laughs> we out here busting our bus for this money. And you mean to tell me like, I can't spend there? Are you crazy? You know, I think a part of that comes from like my childhood. While my parents were like super on top of the money, like making sure that there was always enough, 
they also treated me to cool stuff. Like I got to go to Italy for my 16th birthday because they gave me the option. You either have like a quinceañera or a sweet 16 or you go to Italy. And I was always just like, spend the money on somebody for some party. Like we're going to Italy. Right. So they introduced me to this idea of spending money to live a good life. I've always prescribed to that. So I've never been apologetic about like the fact that I like to spend on travel or designer bags or nice food because that's what we all want. We all want to like enjoy our money. So the narrative of cut out the lattes and like you're pissing away a million dollars in coffee, you know, like I'm not going to subscribe to that narrative because first off, it's not aligned with me. And I am a firm believer that like building wealth cannot come from a place of scarcity. They are polar opposites. You have to earn more. You can only cut so much, but your ability to earn income is theoretically limitless. If you know how to tap into your skills, scale, and monetize things that you don't even think are monetizable, but they are, like we can make all the money in the world. There's no amount that is finite. And, you know, I think a lot of what holds us back is this idea that there's not enough. And that somehow getting a piece of the pie, quote unquote, is not realistic, but it's a lie. It's a lie to keep us small. Yeah, I agree. I 100% agree. We can't be building businesses or building wealth with that scarcity mindset, right? There's not enough money out there. There's too many people in the market. I don't have enough. I don't have what it takes. Nobody's done it before. You know, we got to be taking the top off the dream because the ceiling is exactly where we put it when we choose to walk in that place of power and do what we want to do. Yeah. I think a lot of people feel that way too, because they see this oversaturation in all these different markets, but a lot of those people are white. So the fact that you're entering these spaces as a person of color already makes you different. You already have a competitive advantage and you already have this whole group of people waiting for you to serve them because they really don't want to be giving their money to people who they don't have any identity with, but they don't have a choice because they don't have someone like you to be like, Hey, I want to ride this train with you versus, you know, having to give my money to a a Dave Ramsey or Susie Orman, because that's the only thing that exists. Right. Yeah, I agree. So you you mentioned earlier that it took you eight years after you started your blog to reach financial independence. Can you walk us on that journey? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I always tell people I never intended to monetize the food blog because I didn't really understand like what I was doing at the time. I didn't realize that it was something that could happen. And so for the first two years of having my blog, like I didn't make any money, but that was never the goal it was really just about harnessing that feeling that working on this project that was like completely mine would give me. It just gave me so much joy. And I started having stuff go viral. And then I started having brands reach out. And I think that just speaks to this idea that like when you're walking in your purpose, the universe will reward you. Like you will just start getting opportunities to make money doing something that you love because you're showing up and you're doing it in a way that is like, super authentic and that connects with people. So 2016 was like the game changer year because that's the first year that I made, I think I made like $2,300 that year from the blog. And I was like, wait a minute. So you mean to tell me that this thing that I built on these internets is going to give me money 
And I don't have to like ask for permission to like work on it or not. I don't need to request PTO if I just want to take a break. I can invest more time and make it grow faster. I can invest less time and let it chill. Like those things were never something that I had even considered were possible. So once I actually realized, okay, I'm like making money that I have to report to the IRS from this thing. I I'm, I was lost. There was no way I was going back to just relying on a nine to five for, for my income. And so 2017 was my first five figure year. I made $10,000, 2018, 26,000, 2019, 46,000, 2020, I made $101,000. And this year, year to date, we're talking May, 2021. I have hit $110,000 in my business, quit my nine to five and the sky is the freaking limit. Yes. Congratulations. I meant to say that first. Congratulations on quitting your nine to five. I mean, like, what does that freedom feel like? Tell me about that because I'm not there yet, but tell me all about it. You know, it's funny because I don't think I realized how much this was weighing on me and just like continuing to do something that I knew was no longer serving me. And now that I've quit my job, I have people coming up to me and they're just like, girl, you look so stress-free. I bet you look great. (laughs) You feel joyous. Like you're exuding this energy that just feels like you have finally made the decision that is completely aligned with what your next season in this life is. I mean, uh, let me not, you know, paint a rosy picture either. Like I was scared. I was scared shitless. Like, you know, I am a very calculated person. And I think that's why it took me so many years to even feel like I could be in this place that I could make that decision. I'm not one to tell people like, yeah, go follow your dreams, quit your job and you'll make money. No, we got to be really strategic about this. So the way that I kind of ease those fears is, you know, allowing myself to show that I could be consistent, that it wasn't just a one-off. It's not a fluke. And then building uh, systems and and emergency funds and like putting all these things in place to make sure that I have a very secure situation. So, you know, that looks like saving two years worth of income in cash and investing accounts. That looks like talking to my husband because I'm like, okay, I'm leaving my job. I need health insurance. Like planning these things and having a plan is going to take so much of the fear out so that you can step into your power in and not be focused on all the things that can distract you. Right. And I like that you so you started the side hustle, the blog, out of passion, realized it was making you money. And then it's not like you just said, well, forget the nine to five right away. You took the steps when you were ready to take the steps. So in some sense, there isn't a rush because you are in control of what you were building as your side hustle, which is now maybe becoming one of the main hustles because you still have the podcast also. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. When did you start taking the blog seriously as a business? I shouldn't say seriously. When did you realize that you had a business and not just a hobby? And then when you realized that, what was your mindset shift around it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I always tell people like, look, a side hustle is not the same as a part-time job and is not the same as a hobby. Hobbies you do for fun to de-stress and you don't get paid for a hobby. A part-time job is like just something you're doing for extra money, not that you necessarily care about it. A side hustle is like the way that you explore your passions and then figure out how to monetize them and then potentially build your ticket to like entrepreneurship and quitting your nine to five. So that distinction is important. When I realized that I had started a legit business was when I had made those 
like $26,000 that year and then realized like, damn, this is having a major impact on my taxes. And like, I'm reporting income to the IRS. I'm like deducting business expenses. I need to formalize this thing. So I actually in 2018 created my LLC. And from that moment on, I was kind of just like, okay, I got a business now. Let me not even act like this isn't real. Um, So that was the shift. That makes my little attorney heart feel so happy (laughs) just to hear you say that because I get questions all the time or people will, you know, put advice on some of the things that I post. Don't worry about forming a business until you, you know, earn a hundred thousand dollars. And of course the attorney in me is like, oh, not only is there legal protection, but also LLCs and corporations are the foundation for your business to be able to grow. So like you said, you're going to pay taxes on a hobby. Hobbies are not tax exempt. So you're not going to save money on taxes until you formalize and get a strategy. What were some of the other benefits that came to you after formalizing your business as an LLC? Yeah, I think it was a lot of like mindset shifting and understanding the importance of having like separate bank accounts. I had not had a separate bank account before that. So immediately after I began to separate my finances, I began to really like be intentional about the investments I was making in my business, making sure I was tracking things and, you know, using something like QuickBooks to make sure my accounting system is in place. I started using a Mm -hmm. CPA for the first time because I'm like, Lord knows personal taxes are a friggin' mess. There's no way I'm going to figure out this business tax thing too. And at that time I was also a landlord. So my whole tax uh, situation was like so complex and it would stress me out. And so, you know, it was a series of decisions that I made to live into that girl, you got a business mode. So let's start acting like it. (laughs) Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. And no regrets, I'm assuming about formalizing your business and keeping it pushing. Absolutely not. And especially this year was the first year, 2021 is the first year that I opted to be taxed as an S corp because after talking to my CPA, and I think that's like the importance of having a team of professionals, right? I work with a financial planner, who works with me to scale my business goals. I have a CPA, I have a tax attorney. You gotta be really cognizant of all of these tools that exist in the IRS tax code that are out here just waiting for you. So when I you know, hit my six figure year and I essentially like added another full-time income to my tax return, my tax bill last year was insane. I was like, there's got to be a better way. And my CPA is like, yes, girl, there's a better way. <laughs> there's definitely a better way. <laughs> and you're going to make yourself an employee. You're going to start running payroll on yourself. Like it's going to be the major hack of hacks. I want to talk to people about this all the time now because I'm like, y'all, I've come to the realization that America hates W-2 workers. They do. It does. The IRS code is not for employees at all. Right. No, it's like the best kept secret. So tell us more. Tell me more. Yes. So, you know, just like the fact that I can expense things like my rent, like my car payment, like my insurance, my light bill, my water bill, like all of these things that are part of normal life, all of a sudden become a business expense because I run my business out of my house. So this is also my business location, right? Running payroll on myself as an employee. Now I get to take a huge tax deduction because I'm treated like two human beings, even though I'm only one. And it's just like when you explain these things to people and even things like, you know, self-employment retirement accounts, like a solo 401k or a SEP IRA, the amount of money you can put in these accounts versus what you can put in your employer's 401k. 
I mean, it's just like, why doesn't anybody tell us this? Yeah, yeah. This is exactly what I'm on a mission to tell the world because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, people are so fearful about coming to attorneys and about paying taxes. But really, these business entities are the foundation that just open up a whole new world, right? Like you said, you get to be treated kind of like two people because you're the owner of the business and then you're an employee of the business. So you can contribute to a retirement account as an employee. You can also match as an employer if you choose to do a 401k. You could do a SEP IRA. If you're the sole owner of your business, you can put away up to, what, $57,000, I think it is. I mean, these tools are available to business owners. And the reason why is because the IRS says, you know, employees are important, but who's going to employ the employees? So let's give the benefits to the business owners that are going to create jobs. And that's where the benefits are. So you can take advantage of that as an individual, or you can build a big old corporation and do it there too. But don't think that you're too small to take advantage of it. I think that's the thing. A lot of people are just like, they haven't convinced themselves that they have a potential to create a full on business that can like literally replace your nine to five job. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you can start taking advantage of things like an S corp when you're making like $40,000 thereabouts with your business. So like, you don't have to be a six figure, seven figure business to start really seeing a huge amount of savings by some of these tools that are completely legal. Right. Absolutely. In our uh, in our group in Transcend yesterday, I was talking with one of the members in there and she has an event planning business. And she was saying in the past, she had hired people as contractors. Some of them had their own businesses and some of them were individuals. But there is a presumption that everyone is an employee unless they meet specific criteria for contractors. And now, especially out here in California, where they're really cracking down on who's an employee and who's a contractor, a lot of the freelancers are going to find themselves, I think, having more of challenging time getting work because there's a presumption that everybody's an employee and it's not worth it for the employer to take that risk. So even if you're not at the $50,000, $100,000 mark, I have found that when you form a business, make it official, you look more official. There's more trust that is garnered there. And tell Even if you're trying to get investors into your business, they don't want to invest in you Sam Smith, right? Or Samantha Jones, whatever. They want to invest in whatever XYZ LLC or XYZ Inc. because it sends the message that you know what you're doing, even if you don't. But you know, you knew enough to get that business. It's so true. It totally opens doors. You also said earlier that you have a whole team of people. What I have found is that, you know, black and brown folks, there is so much pride understandably so, in doing things on our own. And I think especially African-American community is, we're not as community-oriented as some of the other ethnic groups. And we used to be, but, you know, affirmative action and and desegregation and moving away and trying to, you know, move out has a whole history of stuff that I won't go into. But there's a strong belief that we need to do it all by ourselves. Did it take you a minute to realize that you not maybe not needed a team, but wanted a team and to see the value in working with a team to help you grow your business? Oh, absolutely. I am the queen of trying to bootstrap and figure everything out and be like the queen of all, you know, the, the master of all the things. But I found myself just getting to the point, especially after starting the podcast and realizing, you know, when you're a food blogger, you don't necessarily have to like show up online too much. Like people are consuming your content for the food. They're not really, they don't really care like who you are. But when it came to the podcast and like literally being a thought leader in the personal finance space, like I knew I had to show up and building a brand that kind of you're the face of 
is just so much more time intensive. And I found myself like living on social media and trying to do all the things, build products, you know, planning events, freelance writing, all these things. And I realized like, I can't be doing all this stuff because I need to be where the money resides. Like, and it's not on Instagram, like posting memes, right? I decided I needed a social media manager. So that was my first hire. And I also brought on a podcast editor when I found the fact that I was spending like hours on end on a Saturday, just editing episodes. And I'm like, wait a minute, I should not be building a business that's making me work more than my nine to five. I think it's, it's been a learning process for me because I'm super type A. I'm super like, I want to be involved in all the things, but I had to really start living into this like CEO mindset Cause I'm like, girl, you trying to build a business that's going to give you like freedom. You don't want to use the excuse of wanting to control everything as the reason why now all of a sudden you're like even more of a workaholic than you were before. Cause that's not a vibe. <laughs> right. And I do feel like a lot of us do that. And I don't know if it's just not realizing that there are so many different ways to build a business. I mean, even in, in my stuff, sometimes I feel like, well, if I'm not the one who is doing this, or if I hire another attorney to do some of this work, then what about me? You know, there's sort of that sense. But I read The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss way too early on in my career because, you know, when I was just starting out, I only wanted to work four hours. and I needed to put some more time into that. But the biggest thing I remember is him saying, build a business that doesn't need you to run it. You know, and that I think is where you get to the real freedom, like lead it, you know, you can be the face of it or, or do whatever you want. But there is also this opportunity to build a business that is not going to take over your entire life. Absolutely. And and that's why I teach people about this concept of passive income, because my food blog is 100% passive. I am getting $10,000 a month from this website. And I haven't blogged consistently in at least like 18 months, almost two years. So it's not to say that if you're starting a business that you got to show up every second of the day to make every single dollar. There are so many ways, especially with the internet, to create passive income sources through your business, whether that is a digital course that people can just buy and take on their own. You know, you can become a blogger and have a website and have the traffic that comes to your website be monetized through ads or affiliate marketing where you're promoting somebody's product. Literally, like just making content on the internet is monetizable, right? There's people who live off of YouTube. I mean, you know, we don't have to be out here like in the trenches for every single dollar if you harness the power of the internet. Right. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's not about just work harder. You're going to work hard, right? But also work smarter. And like you said, that strategy behind it is really important. And I encourage people as early as possible, as soon as they realize that they want to start doing something for a little bit of money is to get with an attorney, an accountant, a tax advisor, a financial planner, and figure out what is the end goal. In my community, I feel like you see so many people who are entrepreneurs and they work until they retire. And then a year later, they're no longer with us, right? <laughs> because they've gone on to glory because they have they've only had a year to enjoy themselves. And, you know, I think our generation, especially in the one that's come after us, is like, we don't want to do what our parents and grandparents did. We don't want to work that hard in that way. We are hard workers, but there's a different way to do it and really looking at the freedom to do it. Yeah. So on the internet, you know, it looks like people are winning all the time. Someone pops up and it's like celebrity overnight, you know, millionaire. And that's, it's just, not true. So do you have any words of encouragement for the folks who are starting out and they're feeling maybe like 
they don't know if they can make it. They're not sure if they can do it. They don't know how. Yeah. If you're bombarded by those types of people, first off, I would ask that you unfollow them on social media because they are toxic and they're lying to you about what it actually takes to build these businesses. And that's why I'm so transparent about my own journey. I tell people, I didn't make any money for two years. It took me eight years to get here, y'all. So like, this is not an overnight success. You know, yeah, there's going to be people here and there that are just like, yeah, I started a business during the pandemic and now I'm a millionaire. Great. But that is not the norm, right? Um, the, the journey to entrepreneurship is a slow and deliberate journey that takes consistency, that takes patience, that takes so much mind work, especially if you have to unlearn this idea that you've probably had implanted in you that like, you're not worthy, that you can't do this, that you're not worth being paid, that you have no skills that nothing you do matters. That is the thing that people don't see. That's the thing that people don't talk about. And that's why I make it my business to talk about it. I talk about the fact that I've had to battle with imposter syndrome. I've had to go to therapy. I've had to do mindset work around, you know, the fact that I really believe for the longest time, like if I was to quit my job, I will end up in a cardboard box because all of this money that's coming in through my side hustle is magically going to disappear. Right. That's just, you know, so logical, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) I can relate. I understand. I get it. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, it's like, you have to nurture yourself and put yourself in an environment that is going to inspire you and to keep you motivated versus like seeing all this BS online that is not realistic. So find your community, find the people who are out here, like talking transparency, showing you the good, the bad, the ugly, the tears and everything in between. That's what you need. Yeah, I absolutely agree. There's so much that's out there and it's not quick. It's not quick, but it's worth it. I feel like it's worth it. And I don't have children. I know plenty of people who have children, but I feel like for me in my life, entrepreneurship has been like having a baby. One of the hardest but most rewarding things that you'll ever do. You didn't know what you were getting into before you birthed that bad boy. And some days it'll make you smile and some days it'll make you want to pull your hair out. But at the end, looking at all of the experiences, it's usually really, really worth it. Absolutely. I don't think there's anything that I have found to be more satisfying than literally taking like who you are as a human being and your skills and like packaging them out and putting them in the world and being rewarded for creating something. Creation process is just very much like what you said, is literally giving birth to things that will change people's lives. You know, whether you are an attorney or a coach or, uh, you know, a money expert, an author, a food blogger, like you going out there and serving people that transforms lives. And I don't think there's anything that can substitute that feeling for me. Right. And you're doing it in the way that is comfortable for you. You've seen the growth in yourself. I'm sure the people who have been following you since the beginning have also witnessed your growth. It's a process. It's not the destination, it's the journey. And sometimes I struggle with that because I'm the person who checks off those boxes. I don't think of myself as type A, but other people might disagree, right? But I'm like, okay, I got to get here, I got to get there, I got to get there. But I am shifting to focus more on the journey and the process that it takes to get there and to count those wins along the way because. I think the freedom is found in that process and in that change. Absolutely. So tell us where everyone can find you. Where do you like to hang out? Yeah, so I'm primarily hang out on Instagram at Yo Quiero Dinero Podcast. I also have a website, so you can head over there, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, and find out everything that there is to know about the podcast. And if you want to make delicious Latin food, you can check out my food blog at Delish Delights. That's D-L-I-T-E-S. Dot com. And if you make my recipe, I would love for you to tag me on social. 
Awesome. Awesome. You all go, please go and follow Janice. I mean, she has been an inspiration just for me and we are technically in different spaces, but they're so symbiotic. I don't want you as an entrepreneur to talk about entrepreneurship and business without also talking about the personal finance side, because the things that you learn on the personal finance side, you're going to implement in your business. And it's going to make personal finance a little bit easier, I think, and just seem more attainable when you have created this other stream of income doing something that you love to change your financial future, the future of your family, and then the future of your community. So that's what we are all about. Is there uh, any last thing you would you would like to say to the listeners before we head out? What I will say is I know as women, we are super eager to help everyone and we're like natural born nurturers. That is just our genetic makeup as, as women. Stop undercharging for your services, please. Amen. You are actually doing a disservice to women like you who are also trying to build their businesses. And when a company encounters someone who is undercharging, they're going to set that as the bar. So then the next woman that comes and asks for more, they're going to be like, no, we're not going to work with you because we already paid somebody less to do this. I always tell people, if your prices don't make you uncomfortable, you're not charging enough. So take that and go raise your price. That's what I want everybody listening to this right now to do. Awesome. I love it. Thank you so much. We'll see you for the next episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Transcend Podcast with our awesome guest, Janice Torres Rodriguez. Please don't forget to go follow her on Instagram at Yo Quiero Dinero. If you were looking for a community of like-minded entrepreneurs specifically focused on building a business and leaving a legacy, and if you don't want to do it alone, head on over to the wilkersonlawoffice.com slash transcend to check out my community. We not only have business advice and legal advice, but we also have financial strategy and tax preparation for you. It's a community of education so that you can learn what you need to know as an entrepreneur to go from whatever you're doing right now to financial freedom. All right, I'll see you there. Hey family, I am so thankful that you are here listening to Transcend the Podcast and I just want to make sure you know the best way to stay in contact with me and that's through joining my email newsletter. So please head on over to the wilkersonlawoffice.com slash newsletter and join the list. I will tell you everything over there from what my offerings are to bits and pieces of information about how to grow and scale your business to self-coaching all the way to giving you updates on what the new podcast episode is. So don't hesitate. Go do it now. The wilkersonlawoffice.com slash newsletter. Thanks.